Good evening, Patriots. And today is Thursday, January 26th in the year 2023. East Coast, you've now entered into the Fridays, as is England and our UK friends and our friends in Australia. I don't know where you are. I don't know what date you're in. But we've got people all over the world, which is totally awesome. And we're blessed to have that and honored to have everybody here. One thing to keep in mind right now is we do go through this tumultuous time is that wealth is an issue and um, they're trying to take it away is my point. They want to destabilize everything. Their brand is chaos. And as much as they can turn things into upheaval and get people to literally be confused and off base, they're going to be able to slide in their nasty ways and take control because ultimately it's going to come down to a choice. And one of the things they're going to try to do is strike at that core issue that everybody's so dependent on, which is our wealth. Take precautions. Are the Biden administration's New Year's goals of tax and spend and turned a blind eye to inflation at odds with your goals of securing your savings? When you finally had enough of the games government is playing with your savings and retirement, diversify into gold with Birch Gold. I am tired of my money being impacted by stupid decisions by leaders in Washington. For over 5,000 years, gold has withstood inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. And here's the great news. You can still get it. In fact, you can own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text the word BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold. With almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs, Birch Gold can help you. Protect yourself with gold today by texting BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to the number 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews. Secure your future with gold. Start today with a free info kit. There is zero obligation to make this request. Just text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Birch Gold. Again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. This is the best way to start the new year. Yeah, we're kind of into the new year now, aren't we? 26 days, and we're moving at a pace that's unprecedented. I want to play you a a piece right here on a crazy perspective of what's coming out of the WEF, the World Economic Forum. This is a group that is already engineering the future. And one of the things we have to be very clear on is the things that they're talking about are already in place. All they're doing is softening the acceptance and prepping people for what is already here. And with that, we have to start making some very definitive decisions on who we will serve. It's very important. So take a listen to this piece right here. Oh, and by the way, there is one, I think he drops one F-bomb in here, so just be aware of that. Um, not in, it's, you can hardly hear it, but nonetheless, it's there. So there you go. So pretty much the most corrupt elites of the world got together at the World Economic Forum in Davos just last week. Now, if you haven't seen this video above me, watch this and get a live reaction because this is pretty scary. First off, a video. Uh, it's going to make you see the future and understand a wonderful future where we can use brainwaves to fight crime, be more productive, 
and find love. Let's roll. You're in the zone. Even you can't believe how productive you've been. Your memo is finished, your inbox is under control, and you're feeling sharper than you have in a decade. Sensing your joy, your playlist shifts to your favorite song. Sending chills up your spine as the music begins to play. Your mind starts to wander to the new colleague on your team, whom you know you shouldn't be daydreaming about, given the policy against intra-office romance. But you can't help fantasizing just a little. But then you start to worry that your boss will notice your amorous feelings when she checks your brain activity and shift your attention back to the present. What the fuck is this? You breathe a sigh of relief when the email she sends you later that day congratulates you on your brain metrics from the past quarter, which have earned you another performance bonus. You head home, jamming to the music, with your work-issued brain-sensing earbuds still in. When you arrive at work the next day, a somber cloud has fallen over the office. Along with emails, text messages, and GPS location data, the government has subpoenaed employees' brainwave data from the past year. They have compelling evidence that one of your coworkers has committed massive wire fraud. Now, they're looking for his co-conspirators. You discover they are looking for synchronized brain activity between your coworker and the people he has been working with. While you know you're innocent of any crime, you've been secretly working with him on a new startup venture. Shaking, you remove your earbuds. What do you think? Is it a future you're ready for? So yeah, that is the future that we are heading into. You may be surprised to learn that it's a future that has already arrived. This is why blockchain and cryptography is so important as we try to gain back the control of our own data as even our brain frequencies are being taken advantage of. But let me know in the comments, are you guys prepared for this? And the answer would be, nope, not prepared for it, not gonna participate in it. So there's a few things to kind of highlight here as we start looking at this and, and we're gonna move through this point tonight. Convenience is the death of humanity. And I'm, what I'm going to talk about right away is earbuds. And I'm guilty of it. I have a hardwired set of ear, ear um, buds, and then I also have like Bluetooth earbuds. Bluetooth earbuds are the worst because they're actually able to, to use that to pick up frequencies and put in frequencies. But they're going to be getting more involved because as we move forward, what you're going to find is the interfaces with AI that are going to be working off of the impulses of what you feel and what you think. Now, here's what's crazy. You're hearing about this now, and this is year 2023. I could probably resurrect my notes, and I could show you a plan that I worked on with a guy who was an audio engineer, and we did this in 2012, and what was the plan? We were looking at that time of creating a set of earbuds that would monitor frequencies and, re and emotional responses that would then be plugged into a playlist and would automatically read out what songs. It would readjust your playlist to how your mood was. That was in 2012. Most people aren't aware of how advanced these technologies are. And when I hear this, I know when she says this is a future that's already here, she's absolutely right. 
See, my motive was different. It was it was truly it was truly a heartfelt, wonderful motive, which was what we were looking at is wouldn't it be awesome if you could maximize your energy for the the things that you were doing. So we were looking first at say for a a runner. I was doing a lot of running. I was doing like 10Ks regularly. We were looking at high-performance athletes. It's like, wouldn't it be awesome if you could find a way to synchronize without having to play with your playlist as you're running to be able to use music, which is frequency, to elevate your performance and to maximize your performance using frequencies that would match and enhance your body's performance. These all sound like good ideas. And then we looked at things like, well, what happens if a person was sick or a person was down? Could you find a way to match those frequencies to elevate them, to enhance their body's ability to heal? Those are things that are relevant today. All of those are good applications to the type of technology you just heard about. But it always comes down to the people that run the technologies. And unfortunately, our problem is not technology right now. We're looking at it because it's the symptom of the disease. And it's the thing that they know that they can pitch to humanity. And sadly, at the state that much of humanity is in, it will sell well because people are trying to fill themselves spiritually because we are dealing with a spiritual and moral bankruptcy across this world that is absolutely phenomenal. We are in a very interesting period right now. And I'm convinced that a lot of this period is a period where God is literally holding us here. And it's we're witnessing, and this is my opinion, but there's other people saying the same thing. If you check around, you're going to hear other voices saying just this type of thing right now. So I say that because I'm not going to proclaim this, that God put this on my heart, but I am going to say that there is a lot of focus on this and a lot of reflection time in my prayer that this keeps coming up, that we're being held in this space right now, held here to reflect and to seek him out, to turn to him. This reminds me of Psalm 46.10, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In this moment in time, so much of the speed in which things are happening are forcing us to make choices and make reflections. We're seeing the dark to light. And that, whether it makes, whether we like what we see is irrelevant, it is a gift to be able to see it. It's God's way of showing us this is where you're headed. It's pretty much like driving towards a cliff and you keep seeing the sign that says end of the road and you say, I'm going to ignore it. End of the road. You keep ignoring it. And as we get closer to the edge of the cliff, we keep ignoring it until it's too late and you can't hit the brakes and you go off the cliff. God's doing that right now in big ways. And he's, and father is literally moving in on this space and giving us these warning signs. And we're able to see them if we have, if we're willing to see it. And at the same time, we're being forced to make these decisions on where our focus should be. So much of what we are living through right now is the time to find our breath, to breathe and to find our settling breath with him. Now, there's a lot of different things that's called. 
in the martial arts and in, in the study of martial arts, which has its roots typically in the Orient and with the styles that I've worked with, either Korean or Japanese, in particular the Japanese format of this, it's a Zen focus of empty mind, which is to find a balance and a clarity in purely existing in the moment. It's at the center point of a lot of what the sword, the study of the sword is like. Is like. We're in a point right now where we're literally polishing our sword. We've been through a reforging. So imagine a blade that a master has made that's been used in, in conflict or combat. The blade has been heavily dinged and maybe it's even been fractured. And now it's been taken back to the master to be remade. This blade was made originally through an unbelievable process of forging and bolting the steel, which means to fold the steel on itself. And it's been done over months where a chunk of ore has been refined and built very much as we were in, in the metaphor of us, of God creating us out of the earth. And that steel is forged and folded and it's eventually made into a sword. And it's coarse when you get the sword. And then comes the polishing phase, which is literally a process where all the deep refinements are now made in the sword. It's, it's polished into where it's almost like a mirror. All of the, the engravings are put in and you end up with this masterpiece. That's as we should be. But in the course of our lives, in particular this life that we've had in this world, we've been put through a combat of sorts. And we've been, some have been heavily dinged, others have been fractured. And so right now is this time in this last few years where we have been reforged. We had to go back to the master. We had to be, we had to go through and, and they had, we had to look at all of the faults that were in the sword. Some swords are cracked into deep because they hit so hard. It wasn't the fault of the making. It was the way they were used. Maybe they were not even used properly by their students. There's one thing about a Japanese sword that's amazing is that it will cut incredibly deep, fast. It'll, Japanese swords will cut an entire torso in half, bone and everything. If you know how to strike right. If you don't know how to strike right, you can damage a sword in a single cut. They are a master's tool. Made by the craft of the master to be used by the hand of a master. And the one thing about the sword that is, and I, there's so much metaphor even in scripture around the sword, is the principle of the sword is it's never, there's never a safety on the sword. When we draw a pistol... You can take the magazine out. You can empty the rounds out of it. You can put it on safe. You can practice drawing. You can essentially have an inert weapon and you can do all your practice with it. If you have a real sword, the blade is always sharp. There's no taking that blade away. When you draw the blade from the scabbard, if you make a mistake, and drawing the blade in a Japanese style is very specific. You can cut your finger off in a heartbeat because your sword is razor sharp. When you, re, when you put the sword back into the scabbard, it's sheath. 
you're guiding it with part of your hand as it comes back. If you miss, you slice through your hand. There's a real connection here in perfection of return, pull and return. And once the sword is out, the blade is live. If you play around with it and you swing it wrong and somebody walks in through your cut lane, you're going to cut them. You might kill them. There's a very real consequence. So people naturally practice with wooden swords or they practice with, with practice swords. I have one. It's same weight, same feel. It's made of aluminum, a combination of metals, which include aluminum, which are not the real sword. But if you're going to really practice, then you have to have your true katana. And that is where all your focus is. And the difference is a massive, it's a massive step. If you, if you use firearms and you shoot, you know what I'm talking about. When you go onto the range and suddenly you load, you take the safety off, and now everything you're doing is with safety off. The only safety you have is your finger. Things get different. The world is different. Your focus is different. We've been walking through a world for a long time now where our safety has been on, or we've been able to think that our safety is on. We've been able to bounce around in, with practice swords and dummy rounds in our chamber. But something happened all of a sudden. The world got shake, shaken pretty heavily. And we can take that back. Maybe it was with Obama for some. Maybe it was as far back as the Bushes. Maybe for some it goes back to the attempted assassination of Ronald Reagan or even some for the assassination of John F. Kennedy. But the world got shaken. And in the progressive years, as we've come closer to this moment, it's become a place where we become increasingly aware that we're living in a live fire zone. We're in a battle zone. We're not in the middle of a play zone. We're not in training. We're not at the National Training Center playing shoot 'em up with lasers and beepers that go off when, they, when you get laser hit. We're not in an airsoft competition where we can shoot people in the head with little rubber spongy bullets and they don't get hurt or a paintball competition where you can wear a, a down vest and if the round hits you, it actually doesn't detonate. It doesn't spray, the doesn't break open. Little tricks. Instead, we're in a live fire. In 2006, June, I took a trip up to Carney with to, to link up with a team of embedded trainers. It ended up being two guys that were my best friends, one of which I've referred to before, Eric Blake, who committed suicide in 2012, which is a very, very hard loss. But we were together, the three of us, on a very small fire base. I think Tony, who was the captain, I think he had seen some combat before. Eric might have seen a little bit, but nobody really saw real combat. We were all green. So when those first rounds go firing at you and they go zinging over your head and you realize that everything you've been doing and exercises you've been going through, it's now game on. Life takes a very different turn. We were sitting in the, the small, it was a small fire base. It's actually what you call a cop, a combat outpost. We could probably park a total of 10 Humvee, Humvees side by side across the entire thing. There were 30 or so Afghan soldiers. We had settled in pretty well. The first experience in this was we had had a group of Afghans 
who had gone out, they claimed they'd gone out to trade bread with the local nomads, which are called Kuchis. One of them had come running back in the middle of the night and screaming, and we had a horrible interpreter, but we put it together that what they had done is he had gone out and they had driven their truck into a wadi. Truck was a marked as a Ford Ranger. It was really a Toyota Land or a Toyota Tacoma. Rebranded for Ford so they could sell them over there in Afghanistan. But it was a four-door vehicle. And they these wadis are dried riverbeds. And their banks are about 8 to 10 feet vertical. So in the middle of the night, they had gone over. And what was really going on is they were trading bread for hash. And they had seen the Kuchi camp across the way. And so they just drove right to the Kuchi camp and at a high speed drove their vehicle off a 10-foot drop and drove it into the bottom of the wadi. And they went through the front of the windshield. Two of them. One of them was able to get out and run back. So Eric and I jumped in the in the Humvee and we drove out there. It was just Eric, myself, and Tony. Tony held the firebase down with the other Afghans. And we were in bad guy country, surrounded by bad guys. And we had about, with us came a small contingent of Afghans, which were about, I don't know, 10 of them with us. And as we were sitting, we pulled, they had pulled the guys out of the vehicle. We helped them. One was unconscious. We were working under a headlamp with red light and had to start giving them IVs. We had no medevac available at this point in time. And then as we were starting to prepare to do medevac or get call for medevac, a firefight broke out on the firebase. We were about two or three clicks, which would be kilometers from the firebase, and we're watching the RPGs rain in on the firebase where Tony is and the gunfire light up off the mountainside. My point of this is that it's a moment when you, your world changes because you realize you're not in Oz and, or you're not in Kansas anymore. Everything is real and the rules change. You have to decide whether you're going to step into this new world or whether you're going to stay behind. Some of, the can, some of the Afghans that were there wanted to stay behind. They were, they were freaking out. And there had to be a fairly firm hand established that their duty was to provide security while we worked on these two. They were wanting to run. The, there was a moment that happens when the radio that we had, which was communicating with Tony, Eric was talking to Tony. It lost its fill. What that translates to is the digital, it was a scrambled radio frequency. The radios were using encrypted communications and the, the fill is the encrypted decoding program, essentially, that matches the two radios that allows them to communi- communicate with one another. If you lose the fill, you might as well be talking into the moon because they will not talk to one another. So in the middle of the firefight, we had to make a difficult decision. We weren't, didn't have these two stabilized yet. And Eric was the only one that could put the fill back in because he was the comms guy. So 
I had to stay behind out in the middle of bad guy country and work on these guys, getting them IVs and stabilizing them with a small contingent of Afghans. While Eric jumped in the vehicle and drove back in the middle of the firefight to support Tony, reconnect the fill, and then come back and get me. Those are difficult decisions. They're decisions that you, it doesn't happen with one person. It was a, it was an, a very clear assessment because we had both stepped into this new world. This world was real. This was a world where no more were there games. We weren't walking with dummy rounds. The pistol I carried was now loaded, armed, and was put at the head of one of the Afghans as he tried to leave, and I gave him a choice. He could run or I would shoot him. If he ran, I would shoot him. Because that was dereliction of duty. And there was no question about that. His duty was to protect me while I worked on the guys of his that had driven themselves into the wadi. And he, he needed to make a choice. This is the realness of life when, when you suddenly realize you're in a war. And the, what has happened in our nation is that we've walked into a war and still people aren't quite assessing that yet. They don't have the comprehension yet of the magnitude of what we're dealing with. What you just heard there a minute, minute ago is that the enemy is moving forward. There is a global plan with senior leaders and corporate leaders and government officials, almost every one of them, that know, knew what this vaccine was about. This was not a vaccine. This was a bioweapon that was developed likely as early as 2013. The patents were taken out on it in 2015. That the side effects that we are looking at because we were looking at this thing from optics of trying to reverse engineer it because they weren't releasing what was in it weren't side effects, but they were actually designed elements of how this vaccine would kill people. How do we know that? Because we've now learned that the De Department of Defense language is using countermeasures against the enemy. Who's the enemy? We are. Let me read you something. This comes from Lieutenant Colonel Pete Chambers, retired. Doc Peters, who, who, Doc Pete, who was on two nights ago. He posted this just a little bit ago on Telegram. And it shows a meme of a soldier sitting behind a gun. He's an operator. And it says this, one coward may lose a battle. One battle may lose a war. And one war may lose a country. And he writes this. He says, cowards beware. Military leaders, be advised. The United States is at war. Fifth generation warfare, though, though it may be. These countermeasures, jabs, is the term used by the Department of Defense, and he refers them to C Substack by Catherine Watt. I would encourage you all to read the Substack by the Substacks plural by Catherine Watt. Are the weapon system, so the countermeasures or the jabs are the weapon system. You are required to lead and provide for the well-being of our troops, your troops. You are responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen. Military law of the United States Military Codes of Justice define cowardice in combat as a crime punishable by death. Refer back to what I just said a minute ago by an Afghan that was going to run in the middle of a firefight. Generally, cowardice was punishable by execution during World War I, and those who were caught were often court-martialed and, in many cases, executed by firing squad. 
Don't be a coward. Signed, Doc. This country needs heroes, people of strength. It doesn't need cowards. And for what has happened now in the last few years is that we have become aware that we are at war. It's a very convenient and comfortable place to sit in a prayer state. In fact, if if you go to a deep prayer, most people will know this, you don't want to leave. It's a very comforting place. You find that amazing balance in that deep place where there's the comfort of Father, there's the clarity of things, and you're just breathing with him. It's amazing. It's the most comforting place ever. But we're here in the flesh as Christ was here in the flesh. And so while we can step into that beautiful space of spirit, our feet are still touching the ground in this world. That's the reality part of this. That's where we have to assess our terrain. And the assessment of the terrain is actually quite clear. That though we were, have been engaged in a warfare that has been very intense, in particular since President Donald J. Trump took the stage in 2015, this war went to an entirely new level in January of 2020. When not only did they weaponize information at another level that was completely planned and engineered, but they started to use bioweapons in different forms to literally maim and kill. This is the world you're in. And the question is, what type of reality will you live in? Will you choose the reality of old where you could comfortably go to church on Sunday, maybe church on Wednesday, kind of do the things around the house, maybe do a garden, a few things, pray a lot, but stay effectively disengaged? Or you can accept the reality that we're now in a a firefight, that the rounds are hot, that people are dying. The two worlds are very different. The world of old is the world of of the wooden sword. The world of old is the world of the practice sword. You draw it, there's no consequence. You take a swing with a hard swing with a, with a practice sword that's made of this combination of, of metals, which include aluminum, you'll literally break the sword because it's not designed for that. It's designed to give you balance and the same flow and feel of a regular sword without the risk of cutting someone or yourself. Or are you in the new battlefield, the real war? Have you entered into the battle space? where that is now sitting somewhere back at your, at your practice station, but you've now deployed forward. You put on your real kit, and now you know when you draw that sword, it's not a game, but it's a sword drawn to strike and kill. Kills used loosely. Because we're deciding, we're going after an enemy now, and there's two swords that we wield. We always lead with the sword of the spirit, and we always carry the sword of steel. That metaphor and that perspective I always place in the garden with Christ where Peter had the sword of steel and Jesus used the sword of the spirit. The two are relevant because Christ doesn't denounce or rebuke Peter for having the sword of steel, but demonstrates the power of both. We see in that instance where Peter literally draws the sword and I will always hold to this definition. He understood how to use a sword and he stayed the attack against Jesus by cutting off the attacker's ear. That stayed the attack, and he saved his life. That's a masterful sword move, by the way. 
whether you realize that or not. A clumsy sword move would have been to kill he who was coming after Jesus. And it would have been way out of line of his teachings. But the ear, yeah, it bleeds a bit. Even if Jesus wasn't there, you'd get over it. You'd bleed a lot. You might want to put your ear on a necklace and hang on to it and pretend you used to have it. But in the end of the day, you're still going to be able to hear, maybe not as well, and you're going to look a little ugly, but your life is spared. And that's where we see the mastery of the moment from Peter step in. He does exactly as he needs to do, using a proper, appropriate level of force to stay the attack to his king. Jesus intervenes by healing the ear and demonstrates the greater power of he and the greater power of the sword of the spirit. But both in that moment are relevant. The war we're in is an act of hot war, and we have to be able to use the tools in our hands that God gives us. There are the tools that will fall in the category of the swords of steel, and there are tools that will fall in the hands of the sword of the Spirit. But ultimately, it's coming down to the discipline of the warrior. Miyamoto Mushashi was one of the great swordsmen of Japanese history. He wrote the book Five Rings. Miyamoto Mushashi lived in the period of 1584 to 1645. And he was was both a philosopher, a swordsman, a strategist, a writer, and a ronin. And a ronin means he had no master. He was roaming without a master. In those days, every Samurai was had a master, but he didn't have one. And so he was up for hire or on his own. He had survived an undefeated record of 61 duels. And the thing about the duels is they <laughs> duels with a sword don't end up with two winners. And you don't get a participation trophy. I just need to tell you. There's a winner and there's a loser. And the loser is dead. Mushashi survived 61 of those duels. But the key part of that is the words in understanding what it was to be a warrior. So it's, it's what we often miss. Because we're in a very kinetic type thinking in our world. When we talk about warfare and we talk about warriors and we talk about fighting, it's been drilled into us through propaganda and movies and film that that type of fighting is always going to result in some sort of bloodshed or it's going to end up in some sort of weaponization or hard weapon use. But I go back to what I read earlier from Pete Chambers. And what he reminded them of is that we are in fifth-generation warfare. Fifth-generation warfare is a warfare designed primarily around information. It uses all aspects of information to break and defeat its enemy by getting inside your head, by controlling the way you think and operate. And it is truly asymmetric in form. It comes at you from every side. 
and it's very there's very little use of actual kinetics. Most of the the fight of the information space in fifth, in fifth generation warfare is stealth. It's out of line, out of plain view. There's your enemy isn't in uniform. It looks like you and I. In fact, it might even go further to make sure it blends as you and I. The battlefields are digital. The battlefields are informational. The battlefields come in forms of in the informational space from audio to visual to written word. There's also other elements to that of frequencies, things to affect the way you think. There's the incessant sociological aspects and the physiological aspects of an incessant warfare that tries to wear you down, break you down. And then there's the dimensions of stealth in warfare where the worst kind of warfare comes in the form of using trusted agencies to kill you. Hospitals. Political platforms that promise you things that ultimately are leading you to the demise. Governments that are guiding you to a certain place to do something which they know will end in your death. Your own military being used as a weaponized system against you. Not the soldiers by their choice, but the institution of leadership that weaponized this system, delivered it, and then used the, the culture of fear and panic to crush the society, deploy the weapon system, and where they needed it deployed was in their arms so that they would be maimed and killed. And in this process, disarm a society that was the most heavily armed society in the world. Disarm them spiritually, disarm them physically, disarm them with their weapons. And to leave them so crippled that they would be easy to take over, to hand over to the new rulers, the rulers that would use other people from around the globe to fill the place of policemen. They weren't nationals. They didn't have any care for the Constitution. They came from other countries. They spoke different languages. And the one thing they were told to do, to suppress and put down anybody that defied them. And most of them hated America anyway because the same beast that was killing us had already abused them. And now they were given a right to come back here and become our slave masters. That won't end well for anybody that submits to them. This is the new battlefield. The old way of being comfortable in the place of being able to set aside the responsibility and the idea that you may have to put your life on the line for the country, that reality doesn't exist now. Not if you're in this war. And this is a very difficult place for many people of faith because in the idea of faith is faith should be also very pure and very loving. Yes, it should be. One foot in the trenches and one foot in kingdom. The words that God gave me several weeks ago. Gideon was watered down to 300. Joshua led his army in to destroy Jericho. Both occurred, both used prayer, both used the power of frequency, both used their, their absolute dedication to Father God. None of them led into fight without God leading them. So there's this incredible space where we have to find the balance, which again goes back to the study of the sword. Because as Mashashi wrote, it is said that a warrior's way is the twofold way 
of pen and sword. And he should have a taste for both ways. Mushashi was speaking to literally a fifth generation warfare about seven centuries before it ever came to being. This is where we are today. That the mightiness of the word, which we will refer to as the power of the pen, still wields an incredible force in this fight. To be able to hold that line of truth and understand that what you're wielding is a sword of truth. That words have the power of life and death. This is very real in our battle space. This isn't said lightly. The words of scripture aren't said lightly. And there's no time for consternation or hand-wringing. You have to decide, are you in this fight or are you not? We don't have room for cowards. This country right now is at a tipping point. We can dream up all sorts of fantasies all we want about white hats in control or the great sweep up of, of human trafficking networks. Monkey Works just covered that. Yes, I'm sure there's great things going on. But in the end of the day, what you just heard at the World Economic Forum, their direction is about a future that they have already put in place. You can take all these dirt bags out of play, but if the people still pursue those technologies and those become part of a standardized way of operating, they're not against the law. You can get rid of the dirt bags. You can get rid of the pedophiles and you will still have exactly what that world they painted for you. You will still have it. And this is how it will be. People would be coalesced into believing that we need a different type of world because we've been proven as humans we haven't been able to manage this world on our own. The problem with that is it's a lie. We have never been managing this world. We've been puppeteered in this world. And those that are now telling us that we need a new layer of security, future crimes, Pompeo even advocated for future crimes, future crimes, this kind of dystopian hell that they want to put everybody in, that becomes our choice. All they're doing now is using new methods of information warfare to lead you down a path which they've been leading us down the entire time. But they're going to give you some sweetener along the way. They're going to talk to you about the need to, and the necessity to pursue the criminals, the Biden crime family. They're going to pull out the Hunter Biden laptop and they're going to make a big deal out of it. They're going to praise all the greatness of stopping human sex trafficking. But those in power are just going to take it down to a deeper level. You're just not going to see it. And you won't know it anyway because all they need to do is give enough of a pause to give you enough of a space to believe you're winning. Not on your own, but on their accord that they're winning this for you. And then they come in for the kill. This is a classic maneuver in swordsmanship. You must look weak when in fact you're strong. You must draw your enemy in close so that you can strike him quick and deadly. And this is all they're doing right now is they're setting the trap. They've gone weak in appearance. They're drawing people in. People's eyes are now being drawn into the investigations into DC while quietly around the edges, they continue to build their 5G towers. Quietly around the edges, they continue to modify their technologies. People's eyes are on Twitter because there's suddenly new amounts of information that's being allowed to come out. Most of it, not all of it, but enough to get people engaged to believe that freedom of speech is truly back. While they continue to build Skynet, and it's going on overhead. 
no one's saying stop the injection. They're saying we must investigate the injection, but no one's saying stop the injection while people continue to die for unknown reasons, of course, because the damage wave is coming through now. And while we're so many are running around trying to figure out, well, why are people dying? And what is this? And are you going to actually pursue justice and get Hunter Biden's laptop? All of those, at the end of the day, are not by our hand. We're asking them to deliver justice, them who brought us this evil, them who've been killing us with this injection, them who have enslaved us from the start, them who executed this plan to lead us into the trap of ultimate slaughter and enslavement. And we keep looking to them to ask them to fix this for us. That's cowardice. The only way forward is for us to take the stand and demand justice. There is no single path to that. There is a mindset to that. And it begins locally, and it is locally often defined. But it's a mindset that every single thing we do, we are pursuing justice, not turning justice over to them. If a sheriff is going to be involved in things in a county, the people are in his face, in his office, holding him accountable to the justice that we demand, not to the justice that he thinks that we demand. Or worse, that they are directing him to do. We become the point on all operations. We become the influencers of the day. We become the warriors. We become the ones that flip the tables. We become the ones that step into the temples and challenge the Pharisees. Christ did not outsource his justice. Christ did not outsource his healing. Christ did not outsource his message. And Christ did not hesitate to step into the battle space and say, I will stand before you and tell you the truth. And even at the darkest moment, or so it appeared, after Peter had cut the ear, Christ then steps in again to demonstrate the greater part of his mission as he healed the ear and now accepted that they would take him in as he pulled to them what they had been trying to do to the others. They baited They took the bait, they accepted him, where ultimately, as they put him on the cross, forgive them, Father, for they do not know what they have done. And the ultimate win was achieved. They had no idea what was coming. Patriots, we're in that hour. We're in that hour of choice, that hour of how you want to walk, whom you shall serve. Choose well whom you shall serve. Choose well the attitude you have in your day. Choose well the perspective that you have on this life. Choose well what you value and what you put above yourself. Choose well whom you shall serve. The warrior knows. The warrior knows where he's serving. The warrior knows his path. The warrior knows that as Mushashi said, it is said that the ways of the, the warrior's way is the twofold way of pen and sword. And he should have a taste for both ways. Let us pray. Father God, in this time, in this nation, in this world, our prayers tonight are to awaken the warrior heart the balance between the pen and the sword. 
said both in actual and both metaphorical ways. To awaken the gifts and talents of the many, to realize how important everything we do, everything that people have, everything that they've been tasked to do in this moment, as we are to set in and listen to you. We are being held in a time right now to reflect deeply on our station and place in this world as the warrior heart begins to awaken. It is up to us to work with you and through you as you work through us to occupy and expand this kingdom. So, Father, we pray. We pray, deeply pray. As is said in Psalm 4610, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth and let you be exalted in us, Father God. Hear our prayers. Hear our hearts. Whatever anxiety to trepidation, whatever fears, anxiety, or other things that exist within these hearts, the warrior that is there, let those be pushed aside to see the glory and the mightiness of working with you, through you, and in the body of Christ. A fearless walk committed solely to that path of Jesus. No distractions. Everything driven towards a single purpose and a single end. To restore, to occupy and expand. And in the end, to serve the kingdom in every breath that we take and every step that we make. All actions focused on a singular goal. Serving you, Father God. May that resonate deeply with all those that are in prayer, may, may that heart of the warrior awaken in a mighty way. May the path before them be clear. May you guide our hand and guide us with wisdom. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Very important time for all of us to take a gut check. When we were ambushed in Sanguine, and you have this moment of chaos. You don't know where the enemy is. An ambush, a good ambush, keeps you off base. You resort back to a couple of things. First, you have to get to a position where you can get your, your position secured. You have to get out of the lane of fire. Then you have to sit for a second, literally taking a knee, and assess the terrain. You have to understand where their field of fire is and where your response is. Is going to be what's the vector of attack that you're going to use to respond life changes when the bullets get real the problem with information warfare is that it all becomes a bit of a game this isn't a game every word said is the power of life and death and if we start to understand that truly for what it means it means that we are the weapon of war and it means that our enemy is using that as well to, as a weapon of war. To get inside of you. To destroy you. To break that connection with Father God. To wear you down. To make you doubt. To make you fear. To make you hate. That's where love comes in. Because the ultimate statement of a warrior and the ultimate place of a warrior, the highest level of warriorship is love. Ask yourself whom you're fighting for, whom you are serving, and where your love is. Because when you sit with love, love is not squishy, gushy, melting like butter. Love is an intensity of passion. 
It's an appreciation for everything that is given, a connection to everything around you that you value. It is a willingness of self-sacrifice to the man on your right and the man on your left. It is a selfless walk into the enemy's camp, knowing that no matter what befalls you, you shall never bow, you shall never relent, and you will either be glorious in the victory or you will be glorious in heaven. But either way, you will be glorious because you will never give in to what they say. That attitude will change this world, and it will change quickly. The the permissive environment that we have now allowed, where they are free to roam, has not yet been checked by the warrior environment of those that say no more. Choose on this day whom you shall serve. Patriots, keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We're at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land. Expand the kingdom. Subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I will see you tomorrow for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time. God bless. Good night. Thank you. And out for now. Oh, I want to feel something. I just want to breathe again. Dive into the deepest end. Oh, I want to feel something. Let me get back in my body. Close to me, look how it is.